Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is Cheats from the Cheats Movement. I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. It is Monday, November 29th, and we are back on the grind. As promised, this is part two of a special series that I'm doing over here on the Cheats Movement that's talking to interesting people in and around Richmond Public Schools Today's interview, or this episode's interview, is with Kenya Hunter of the Richmond Times Dispatch. Kenya is amazing, one of our favorite journalists that cover Richmond public education. She also covers Henrico. Um, I really think it's an insightful and fun interview and an opportunity for you to get to know Kenya a little bit more. So, with no further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Kenya Hunter. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cheats Movement Podcast. We have a very, very special guest. I'm so excited to have Kenya Hunter on the program. Kenya, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. So Kenya is one of, one of my favorite reporters, journalists in the city of Richmond. She's covering Richmond Public Schools and public schools across the region, like the whole central region. Not the whole just it's Richmond and Henrico and sometimes I dip over into Chesterfield sometimes I might dip into Hanover but we got folks covering them well you do a fantastic job um I I often feel old and this is not to (laughs) this is not to embarrass you uh but you know you hit 40 and then everything is just 40 plus but the fact of the matter is um I followed your journey a little bit coming to the RTD and Georgia is Georgia, your hometown. Yes, yes, yes. Home state. Yes. Um, and, and, and coming here and being introduced to all that is RPS and the things you have to cover. Uh, how long have you been on the beat with the Richmond Times Dispatch and how do you find this climate of covering education, particularly in the city of Richmond? Yeah, so I got here April 2020. So I'm coming up on a year, I'm about a year and a half coming up on two years. I've been on the education beat uh, my whole career, though. I've I celebrated two years in journalism on November 6th. So hooray. I was at hooray. My Congratulations. Yeah, I was only at my first job at the Rome News Tribune for five months. And then I, I pulled up here. Um, covering education, you know, everyone's really hyped up about education as I love it to be because education is really, in my opinion, the most important beat in the world because one, it involves people's kids. And then second, it's about money. It's about curriculum. It's about business. It's so much stuff that you have to really have an idea about. And then it's also about community too, because school boards are supposed to be, you know, community focused governing bodies and so yeah I love the fact that everyone is so hyped up about education and sometimes it can be stressful it's but and then especially in RPS where you know you see a body that is a bit more political than some other bodies that I've covered before like in Floyd and Rome you know um they are a bit more mundane I would say than the Richmond school board Mm -hmm. is and I mean even in Henrico too but with Richmond public schools you know you have a you have a school board that is really, really diverse as in, in thought. I mean, this is a historic um, board that we have this year or this term where there's seven black women on the board mm-hmm. and 
eight women overall. I think this might be the most women the school board's seen in, a, if not the first time in a long time like this. And so, you know, but it's also, they're a divided board too. So um, sometimes predicting things can be stressful because, you know, I got to write by deadline. But covering RPS in this time has, in this really, what seems to be a really transformative time for the district and the city has been, it's been a journey. It has mm-hmm. been a, a journey. And if, if I could picture the road, it would be one where you can't anticipate whether there's a fork in the road or whether you're just going to keep going straight. What, what do you find is the biggest challenge? Is it that the unpredictability of how we think things are going to happen when you're looking at different issues? But as a journalist covering, especially uh, Richmond Public Schools, what do you find is kind of the most challenging part of, of working the beat? I think maybe the fact that RPS is vastly different than the neighboring localities because the conversations and the decisions that are being made are being made with this lens that it's always this lens of pulling kids from being behind because RPS has always been known as this district that is behind right but I think when we say the word behind, we got to think about that because, you know, like just last year, lowest graduation rates in the state. Now we're talking about the Virginia growth assessment where, um, you know, white students are far surpassing black Latino students in, um, in reading and all of that. So I think that might be the most difficult portion of it is really being careful in my coverage when I use the words behind, who am I holding accountable for that behind? Because in my mind, it's not kids, it's really the administration and the school board that that where the accountability should go to and and so yeah i think and then making sure that you know you're not blaming people for circumstances i think that can be the most difficult portion of it let's talk about the tension that is school board city council mayor's office and it may just be school board and mayor's office at this point but i I like to lump them all three because i like the the mythical at this point education compact of people coming together and working on these issues. Um, I like to, to kind of approach it from that lens. Do you find, I know there is tension. Do you find that the tension is to a level where it really is stopping things from getting done? We'll get into George with and some other places specifically for the audience in a little bit, but just general animosity, general tension. Uh, where do you kind of rate that as being either, helpful or harmful for RPS? You know, I don't know if that's for me to comment on really, because I mean, you know. <laughs> Come on, we're hard hitting questions right now. We're no, going hard in. Existential questions. I think <laughs> it's just in my own research, there's been history before Mayor Stoney and before, you know, this current body on the school board. Look, there's been a history of tension. Doug Wilder kicked the school board out their building, had yeah. them on the, on the corner, like in boxes in the middle of the yeah. night. And so there's a of tension in the city, but it's not unique to Richmond for one thing, because I think, I mean, across Virginia, what you see is the fact that the school boards can't levy taxes. And so it's the governing locale, it's the governing body that holds the purse strings. And so um, sometimes what you run into is you think is um, the city council or the board of supervisors or the mayor or whoever is in charge of the overall county or city really thinks that they should have like more auditing power over the school board because right now you have to give the school board the budget with no auditing power like the city council doesn't have much auditing power over the budget of rps right now you know and so 
they think that they should have more authority over what's being said and done with the school board, but they just don't have it because while school boards can't levy taxes, Virginia does value like the local control that a school board has. And that's kind of where this whole construction thing with George With has come from too. But I mean, has it stopped things from being done? I mean, I do think there's been some conversations and I've definitely heard folks um, talk to me about how they're a little fatigued in talking about certain things with the school board and how sometimes things get pushed back because you know the meetings are really long so absolutely yeah so sometimes like things things have things have been pushed back and I, we've heard the superintendent say that before and we've heard some other school board members say and we also see it on social so so yeah sometimes you know the meetings get get long they get contentious but i think my job is really to cut through the noise of it all and write the meat of what happened so that is a perfect, perfect segue, perfect segue to for you to walk all of us through exactly what's happening with George With. So uh, as, as condensed as you can. Um, as condensed as I can get. A, there's, there's 13 stories in the thread. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And I, and I think I followed pretty closely in regards to um, what's happening. But I will tell you, how many people, you know, just, I think that sort of follow or kind of insularly follow or read the stories and still really don't understand exactly what's happening. So for people that are listening, what, what do you, what's at this point, like, what's the big takeaway from, I guess it's the school board versus the mayor's administration. And now there's dual RFP, uh, RFPs and things that were happening and we don't yeah. know what's not happening. So what's what's the easiest way for you can explain to us where we are with the building of a new George with high school? I mean, I think the easiest way to say it is it started in April. Um, third district school board member Kenya Gibson introduced an ordinance basically saying that school should be in charge of school. The reason that it was so easy for that to pass with that vote is because the state does vest authority for school construction with the school board. I'm not really clear on the history of why the city was overseeing school construction overall. Mm -hmm. I'm not really clear on that history. I've heard different um, accounts, but for a while, for decades, the city has overseen school construction. And while the city has overseen school construction, George With had been on the facilities list since 2002, at, at least. So George With's construction has been pushed back nearly two decades. Um, it was a five to four uh, majority, which is a really divided board, a really divided board. Um, and the conversation didn't revolve around George With at first. It started to revolve around George with because that was the next school in line to be built. So at first it was from where I stood, it was Kenya Gibson, Jonathan Young, Stephanie Rizzi, Shonda Harris, Muhammad, and Mariah White all felt that the school district should be in charge of building schools for a number of reasons. I know they believe that the schools that were be, that had just been built were not, I think it was that they were over budget. You're right. They were the, the three, it was over the elementary, two elementary yeah. schools and middle school that were over, over budget. Had concerns about the mayor's um, alleged conflicts with some of the um, school construction companies because mm-hmm. I think like Branch Builds and SB Ballards they donated to his reelection campaign. But I think the thing that's important to remember is they donate to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I believe they donated to um, to former Governor McAuliffe. Um, I know that um, I believe Branch Builds might fund um, the Virginia School Board Association too. Sure. So they like, they fund a lot of a lot of different politicians. 
Um, and so there's that and, you know, this, uh, this alleged conflict that the mayor may have, but then where the superintendent cameras came from that night that it passed was that if we do this now, we're not, the city won't have the authority to release the RFP. So then when the mayor did, decided to release the RFP after multiple protests and pleas from the South side about building George with, um, he released the RFP, but he didn't necessarily have the authority to move forward with awarding a contract. Right. So that RFP was out there and it closed with him not being able to award a contract because again, the school board has sole control over school construction. So now I've, I've been told that they're in the process of awarding a contract. They're supposed to do it this month. Not really sure where the board is with that. I just know that now we're back kind of it almost feels like we're back where we were in April, where it's where we're kind of unclear about who has the legality to do what. Because I remember being really unclear about what the school board or the city was able to do, and now I'm back in that area where we don't know who runs the capital improvement fund. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know if the school board moving two million dollars from one place to the next to the next in this capital improvement fund if that's legal. Like we're not really sure what is allowed here. And so I think that's what's been difficult is like, not everybody understands everything the same. Right. So yeah, that's kind of where we are now. I just know that the RFP is out. It's a school that they want to be built for 1600 students. The superintendent's administration and the mayor's administration and a few city council folks have a lot of big worries about whether or not it's appropriate to build a school in the South side mm-hmm. for 1600 students. But some of the school board members really think that it is a, that that's most appropriate because of whatever culture issues might be happening at George with. Right. I think there were some, some some questions over the size, whether the schools are too big or too small. Yeah. The general public, I can't speak for what's happening, especially as somebody that's covering the beat very closely. My sense from the general public is why can't cooler heads prevail? This school needs to be built. Everybody knows it needs to be built. How come people can't get in a room and knock it out? Like, you know what I mean? Just get the agreements to move this on. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you think that that can't happen because of like just conflict and personalities? Or do you think that just can't happen? I don't think anything is impossible when it comes to elected officials. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I've gathered so far, though, is that one party thinks that they're working in good faith and so does the other party. But the mm-hmm. party that they're working in good faith doesn't think that the uh, that the next party is working in good faith. So, no, it's a big trust issue. It's definitely a big trust it's issue. It's definitely a trust issue for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a part of RPS's um, governance, like, you know, where they've had concerns about who trusts who on the board and sure. with the city. There's definitely a trust issue thing. And I think, I think it, again, like, I know we've been talking about whether or not the city and this current school board trust each other, but this is this conflict is a thing that has gone on for decades and it kind of subsided, it seemed like, and now it's just kind of back. I think the thing that is always concerning to me about school board and especially in kind of Richmond where it's an elected school board, there are some people that I think are really, you know, in it because they care about education. They care about kids. There are some people, because when you have an elected school board, there are people that say, hey, this is my entry into politics. So if you look into, like even city council now, and we've got former school board members, um, I, both, I think both Kim Gray and Kristen Larson, Kim Gray's no longer on the on city council, but they were both school board members. And then they you know went to city council. There's a lot of folks that were Jeff Bourne. Yeah. School, 
school board member and now he's in the house of delegates right so it was like i believe governor kane wasn't he on the school board he was in city council so okay. and uh um, city council mayor and then uh lieutenant okay. governor i know this very well because full disclosure i work for tim kane <laughs> um let everybody know um that uh but it's an interesting dynamic because like i said i think and it's this not i'm not saying this about this particular board just elected boards in general it Austin seems like it's an entry to political elevation. So, um, and that also breeds a lot of turnover. And if we've noticed over, if you look like you said, um, I don't know how many new members, it seems like the Richmond school board turns over and turns over and turns over. So yeah, I mean, what's interesting, I think RPS is one of few school boards in Virginia that has a hundred percent elections at the same time. Like some, I know in Henrico, their school sure. board is staggered. And other boards I've covered, their school board is staggered. Even the um the Virginia Board of Education, their terms sure. are staggered. No, staggered, yep. So, yeah, so I think people have some some thoughts about whether or not that's a good governance practice or not to have all the school board members come and go at the same time. Because I sure. think this the before this school board, the last school board was 100% turnover. Yeah, 100%. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, 100% turnover. So yeah, um, I know the whole thing with elected and um, appointed school boards, people have thoughts about whether or not there's politics in sure. elections versus appoint, appointees. But I think you're always going to see politics in school boards, whether they're appointed or not. Um, you know, I think of when I, my time I spent up in Boston, I mean, that was one of the most political bodies I'd seen because there are some political decisions to be made and that body is appointed. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're just getting to a point where they, but it's a matter of who's running the politics, I guess, because I mean, they're in Boston, they were appointed by the mayor. I, in Hanover, I think they're appointed by your corresponding district um, person, the board of supervisors. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, so if we saw that with city council, and I believe at one point the Richmond school board was appointed until- They were uh, at one point, yep. Yeah, they were appointed until like nine the 90s because that was when Doug Wilder signed into legislation that it was allowed, you were allowed to elect school boards. And that's something that the Richmond State for Voters really pushed for sure. to allow elected school boards. And I think that the point of that was was supposed to be like community control of schools. Sure. Where, but then, but I, I get what you're saying with, I know there there are some people who think that school boards are like bad for management. I've, I've read those things before too, because it was brought to my attention once about this discussion of whether or not a school board should be elected or appointed or if a school board should even exist. Like there are people in the world who think that a school board is not good for management and that it gets That's in the way of what an administration wants to do and all of that. Sure. So. No, it's crazy. It, it runs the gamut. Ladies and gentlemen, the voice you are hearing is Kenya Hunter. I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. It is uh, an honor to have you. You have just wrapped up. I believe, I don't know if it was four parts or three parts, three, three parts. parts of a really, really well done, really, really well read uh, series about Maggie Walker, um, the governor's school in Richmond, racial disparities, how it came about. It, it runs the gamut. Tell us a little bit about that series, why you wanted to do it and what you discovered doing it. Oh, wow. I haven't talked about Maggie Walker in a couple of weeks. Let me pull up my footnotes. Um, <laughs> so, I don't think you um, need any. Look, all the work you did. Maggie Walker, you know, um, I first came across Maggie Walker when there were some students who were, um, I came across Maggie Walker when I first, around the time I first moved here, there were some students who did this thing called Project Engage, where they wanted to tutor kids who were, um, who were just inside because of the pandemic. And 
then they explained because I was like what I had to do their photo assignment so I was like where is Maggie Walker and they're like oh it's in Richmond but so then I was like well then why do you live all the way in Goochland like why doesn't mm-hmm. why do our photographer our photo journalists need to go all the way to Goochland they were like oh it's a regional school and all that and then I didn't talk about Maggie Walker again until we got into the George Floyd movement um because um you know, that's when I found out that the school didn't have a lot of black or Latino students. And then I found out that Maggie Walker was a black woman. And then I found out that Maggie Walker High School was in the Jackson Ward. Then I found out that because it was in the Jackson Ward, because it was the Jackson Ward zone school where a bunch of black students went during segregation. And so I, I thought it ironic that um, the school was once a school for black students during segregation and now had turned into this landmark of resentment for some folks because um, black students had a hard time getting into the school. Um, So yeah, that was part of why I wanted to do it. I am really in love with black history. Mm -hmm. And so, and Richmond has so much rich black history. Um, I remember when I started reporting on Maggie Walker, you know, I just came across some interesting numbers um shout out to john ramsey at the rtd because he does a lot of really good data work and i mean he would do a lot of just we we would get all this data and just be really surprised by what by the sentences we could form just looking at data um and so then the maggie walker project um i had been reporting on it and then had been reporting on the kind of equity journey that maggie walker's on but I had the um, fellowship that I, I, I participated in with the Education Writers Association. Um, it was their new to the beat program. And I knew I really wanted to do a really ambitious project on Maggie Walker and gifted enrollment because you don't just see that with Maggie Walker, right? right. Like it's all the governor schools for one thing. And then another thing is that um, it's also the gifted programs and it's also open enrollment and the specialty centers. It's and it's a thing across the country. I was working on a gifted story before I when I was at the Romney Tribune, but then I moved here, so I didn't get to finish it. But you know, you see similar things there. Um, so with Maggie, with the project, we got twenty years of admissions data from the governor's school, and it was just really interesting to see the trends. Um, and then you know, Henrico had their gifted audit, and then Richmond Public School started doing their open enrollment process and trying to figure out how to revamp it. And so it felt, it felt like divine timing, in all honesty. And mm-hmm. some of the things I learned, you know, I, I think that people, when I first started the project, I remember thinking no one was going to care about it. I remember thinking no one was going to care about it because I didn't think that I was reporting stuff that no one knew, mm-hmm. but. What I realized that we did with this was that we took something that was somewhat documented, mostly of sentiment in the community, and we took it and we put it on on the record. Like we put it in the Richmond Times Dispatch, which that in itself even has its own historical um, sentiments to that too. Um, You know, Maggie Walker, people really hold Maggie Walker, the the human being near and dear to their hearts, Mm -hmm. um, because not only was she the first black woman in the country to charter a bank, but she was also an organizer and also a journalist and also, you know, used her journalism to organize and stop um, and, you know, boycott streetcar segregation. Sure. So Maggie Walker, I think the question, the overarching question being, you know, how do black people in the city feel about this school that has essentially, that essentially houses a system. And when I say system, I mean gifted enrollment that has locked out students of color largely. 
And where did, and what did you find? What did you find from talking to members in the community? I mean, I'm assuming anger, assuming a little bit of um, like we all knew this, like we don't even we just keep it pushing because we knew how how that situation is. You know, I think I found less anger more so than I, I think I heard people want to move forward. You know, like when I think about like one of the stories that I really, and I also think trauma too, sure. um, you know, one of the stories, the, th- the, th- the three stories that I told, the three like story stories that I told was the one of Emmett Jafari and his granddaughter, Miriam. Emmett went to Maggie Walker High School in, I believe he graduated in 72. And, you know, he in a video said his granddaughter goes to the governor's school and it was just I was just amazed at how they experienced that building, that very same building at the corner of Lee and Lombardi in two completely different ways, mm. um, you know? And in a video, he said that it does strike another chord that she walks the same hallways, but doesn't necessarily experience it as a place that affirms her being a black student. Because it's not, you know, of course, when you are black and you're one of few in one spot, you have your cultural differences, you know? Like, I think there's been a lot of conversation on the timeline lately about code switching, um, you got to do that. There's, um, you know, and then there was the POC at Maggie L. Walker Governor School's Instagram page where there were just some really devastating claims from teachers and from fellow classmates that, you know, people of color just weren't really feeling the love at Maggie Walker. And I think that the students there, it seems like, at least as soon as I talked to, I talked to Dominant Turner, who's a senior there now, and he thinks they're headed in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I talked to Tiana Stewart, who, you know, she really experienced something that I think, one, she experienced her difficult times with the culture at Maggie Walker as a Black student, but then also had a rough time being a gifted Black student where, you know, a teacher told her mom that it wasn't appropriate to test her for gifted programming. And then there was a Black woman in the room who said, no, 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 no. We're going to figure this out. Here's where you need to take her to get tested. And that happens to a lot of Black students. That happens to a lot of students of color because of who people see as gifted. So I think that's a lot of what I learned. I don't know. I think there are some people who are angry. Sure. But I think most of what I heard was this desire to move forward and this desire to have Maggie Walker Governor School um, really submit itself to the Black history that it was rooted in. Last question on this. Whose responsibility? You've got 20 years of data. You're looking at these numbers. You see gross racial disparities. But at the end of the day, whose responsibility is it to improve and make it a much more equitable system? Like, it, hmm. like who, who is the where does the buck stop? The buck stops here with governor schools. Is it Superintendent Cameras? Is it someone else? How do you get more an ep- equitable enrollment in the governor school? Um, well, for one, I mean, the way the schools govern, it's in Richmond. I think RPS is the fiscal agent, but. Jason Cameron is not in charge of the governor's school. I don't know right. how much. So, and I think those. people don't know that. So like, yeah, is, it, so is it Virginia DOE? Like um, the VDOE is working on their, I think working on their own guidelines, but I mean, people have a lot of strong feelings about gifted enrollment. People have a lot mm-hmm. of strong feelings about the governor's schools too. Um, I don't, I think the state, you know, state education officials, I think that's okay. what that's who makes the most decisions about the governor's schools. Because again, this isn't just Maggie Walker. I think Maggie Walker might have the most perfect tale as a like, reporter speaking, having once having, you know, sitting on space that has always been rooted in black history 
from, I believe it's called Hartshorn College. It was an HBCU mm. Mm. Um, that was Sister College of Virginia Union before it was Maggie Walker High School. Then it was Maggie Walker High School. And I think some of Maggie Walker's relatives went to Maggie Walker High School. Mm. And none of her relatives go there now, at least that I know of. Um, so yeah, I mean, who? but this is a whole thing. It's happening at Thomas Jefferson up in Fairfax. It's happening at all of the government schools, even Appomattox. Like Appomattox is down right. in Petersburg and has some yeah, of the school systems that feed into Maggie Walker. But then I think they, but I do think Appomattox has the largest percentage of black students. I think I remember 26%, which that's one of few. And is that, is, I mean, I hate to sound stereotypical, but is that because Appomattox is kind of based in the arts, right? Appomattox government school is, is more theater, arts, music. And it seems like they would invite more diversity. Yeah, I mean, I have asked this, I have thought about this question about um, like, hmm. I know that when we're in school as black folks, we're often focusing on art and all of that. Mm -hmm. I know me personally, I've always been interested in journalism, but then I remember there being like few black faces in my classes and stuff like that. Sure. Um, I, I do wonder about, um, and I, I talked to one expert about this, but it didn't make it in the paper, but there was the, the thought about, you know, when it comes to talent development, are we developing talent in the arts more appropriately than we are when it comes to government and international studies? That was a question that mm -hmm. I think is reasonable to ask. Um, Absolutely. I don't, I don't think that there aren't black and Latino students who are not interested in government and international studies. Cause I, I hear, I hear RPS kids talking all the time about how they want to make change and how they want to be good for their, do good for their communities. And, you know, um, like there are so many students who want to be politically active, but don't necessarily know how to. So sure. I don't think it's a lack of interest. Um, but yeah, I mean, the VDOE, they make decisions about this. I know um, Secretary Carney, who is, um, I don't know if he's the outgoing yet or not, but. Um, I think know, they, I think they're all going to be out. <laughs> yeah. So, so given what happened uh, the other Tuesday, I think everybody's going to be outgoing. Sure. In and a so, situation yeah, that. But I know Secretary Carney did a lot of work on on the governor's schools sure. and its diversity and equity too. I think the other thing that we got to think about is um, economically disadvantaged students are not at the governor's schools at all, um, like a low percent. I think right. um, at Maggie Walker it was two percent. Um, Thomas Jefferson just changed their admissions process. So they had more economically disadvantaged students than usual. Um, but economically disadvantaged students are also locked out of the governor's schools programs. And I think that hasn't been discussed a lot. But in Virginia, um, if you're um, a student of color, you're also more likely to be economically disadvantaged. Right. Uh, like yeah, race, yeah, race is a big predictor of your class, in, um, especially in Richmond. And so I think that's another conversation to be had too about who's getting resources because, and that's another reason why these admissions tests have come forward because, um, you know, it's been kind of shown, there's a lot of studies to show that kids who are not poor just do better on standardized tests because of what they're exposed to, you know? And I remember I had to ask someone, cause I remember for a while, I didn't understand why a a standardized test was a barrier for anyone to get sure. into a school. I was like, you just, that, that's the point. You take a test. Like I, but I didn't have a lot of nuanced thinking on it until someone had to explain it to me like a child where they were like, if you don't know what a canoe is and it's right. on a 
how are you going to know what canoe to boat is as this to that? And I was no, like, absolutely. that makes sense. And I know what a canoe is because I think I learned about, I think I learned about it when we were doing U S history or something like that, but, right. But a lot of people don't also, get that experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I also like, didn't, I didn't grow up poor. You know, the only time I qualified for free and reduced lunch, I was in foster care for a little while. And then I remember I darted back to my, my homeschool because I didn't want to go to the school they put me in. And uh-huh. so, you know, yeah, it's like, I think there's a lot of questions about what one, there are a lot of people who don't believe that kids should even have to leave their school to get advanced um, programming like is offered at Maggie Walker or TJ or at the specialty school centers. But I also think there are a lot of people who aren't necessarily at the point where they think that gifted programming should be abolished. Um, Cause you know, it, it is driving school segregation right now. And when I say school segregation, I'm not talking about the school segregation that was voted, that was, you know, um, federally mandated down by Brown versus Board of Education. I'm just talking about the fact that schools are racially and economically segregated. Sure. No, absolutely. And I think, again, there there are things that I think we tend to know and understand, uh, Mm -hmm. yet it will take things like the work that you did on Maggie Walker and other, um, uh, other books and studies to really put it in your face. And the issue, the, the, the thing that's kind of crazy is these pieces and rightfully so yours should be one of them that wins an award or wins several awards. But then the question is, how do we change it? I, is, was it the president of Howard? I can't remember. It was the president of Spelman that wrote um, the book. Um, Why are all the black kids sitting in the corner, like sitting together mm-hmm. in the lunchroom and you have these relevation, um, you have these, eureka moments and then you realize like well still nothing's changing right Mm -hmm. so hopefully your piece along with others and the stuff that you guys continue to do will be a catalyst to hopefully make the powers that be understand that these disparity results 20 30 40 50 years need to be moving in a direction that's more equitable for all people so uh, kudos to you for the work that you have done on this project. I hope everybody goes back and reads all, all three pieces. Um, fun fact that you mentioned about Maggie Walker um, in, the, in the history of the schools. So I read, I think it was during the pan. No, it was before the pandemic. I think it must have been the December right before the pandemic. My family and I went to, um, we took Cam to Disney World in Florida. And I remember during that time, I was reading the uh, Race Man the John Mitchell Jr. book. And so in that book, it's a phenomenal book. I think it's about Margaret Eads, but it's a phenomenal book about Richmond, late 1800s, early 1900s. um, And all of them went to a school, Maggie Walker, John Mitchell Jr., all of them went to a school that was called Richmond Colored, Richmond Colored Upper School. Um, And so I think that- Do I need to read this book? Is it not- This book's amazing. It's an amazing book. Yeah, no, it's about the life of John Mitchell Jr. Okay. Um, Richmond Planet, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, uh, I think I think Richmond Colored ultimately became Armstrong. But it was it, but it, it it talks about all of the, you know, Jackson Ward, all this stuff, all the conflicts. Uh, and I was joking with a bunch of folks when while I was reading it, and I was like, I don't know if this is 1890 or 2020, because it seems like they have some of the same challenges that they were facing back then. Maggie Walker, John Mitchell Jr., um, to the stuff that 
our, our contemporary colleagues are facing now or ourselves. So I thought it was phenomenal, but it's a phenomenal book. And uh, I wanted to make merch that said Richmond colored. And I thought better of it. Cause I was like, people aren't going to understand. <laughs> like if they go around and see like Richmond colored school, then you just be like, this yeah. ain't going, this ain't going to be hot. Um, <laughs> but a couple things, I'm going to get you out of here. I really, really appreciate the time. I appreciate the work. You alluded to it quite quickly, but uh, is there a quick story about how you got into journalism? How was journalism the thing for you? I am, um, man, you know, I always talk about, I'm sure you've seen me talk about my mother. Um, mom was a teacher before she passed. Um, her and my dad always spoke journalism into me. My mom was also a minister who I believe was a prophet. And so she always spoke journalism into me. And I remember not being sure, but I always loved writing. And I remember when my dad mentioned journalism to me, he was like, you know, you can write for newspapers. I remember a light going off in my head and being like, that's what I'm going to do. So you know how they always say um, the average student switches their major like four times and they don't know what they're going to do when they grow up. That was never me. Mm. <laughs> I knew I wanted to be a reporter since I was tiny. Wow. I've pursued it my whole life um, in college, all of that. And so, um, you know, when mom passed, it was really, really heartbreaking because all I wanted was for her to see me get a job. Um mm. And I also remember protesting a lot because my sister became a teacher, like my mom. Um, it wasn't what she majored in or anything like that. I didn't ever hear her talk about wanting to be a teacher when we were younger, um, but she did it. And I was like, I'm never gonna be in education like y'all. I'm gonna be a journalist. I'm gonna make sure I become a journalist. And then of course I become the education reporter. And I remember, I remember being like, is my mom in heaven laughing at me? Is this, is this funny to you? And, and who knew that it was going to lead me up to, um, who knew that it was going to lead me to Richmond? I didn't know where education journalism was going to lead me to. Mm -hmm. But when I first started reporting on education, um, and I had done education journalism before on schools, um, you know, I went to the Boston, I covered um, Boston public schools for a little bit, this one particular story about this one school in Boston and really loved talking to the students there and loved talking to the teachers, talking to the principals, all of that. Like, I just remember really enjoying it. And then I became the education reporter at the Rome News Tribune. And then after that, you know, I got here and it's all history. And I think a lot of people wonder, you know, a lot of people tell me all types of stuff about my work. They'll, they'll be like, oh my God, you're going to be like one of the finest education journalists in the country. And it's like, as of right now, I think one thing Richmond taught me is about priorities. Um, you know, I used to really want to be a journalist to be famous. Like when I, I was just mm -hmm. telling someone this, I was just, just telling someone this and cracking up how it took me maybe till my sophomore year to realize that there was no way I was going to graduate college and not have an, and I was, there was no way I was going to have a nationally syndicated show like Oprah once I got out of college. Like I was, but when I was little, I was convinced that if, I just did college, I would be rewarded with not just my degree, but also a TV show. Oh, like, like a real show, right, right. Yes, that's what I oh, wanted to do. I that's really, crazy. I wanted to do broadcast. And then, you know, I had some veteran Black women journalists tell me that if I wanted to do broadcast, I couldn't have dreadlocks. And so then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, career changing it. I mean, even, but then I also just like writing more. I like reporting right. a lot. And, you know, a lot of, newspaper reporting is a lot of the hustle and grind of original reporting so 
you know, um, Richmond has definitely taught me about my priorities. I don't have a priority to be famous anymore. I have a priority to write about these kids and, you know, just keep people honest. Like that's really where my priority is. My priority is in Richmond as of right now. I think this is where I'm supposed to be. I don't think I'm going anywhere anytime soon. You know, I really, really care about the city and yeah. Who would be your, if you could interview anybody you wanted, um, who would be like your dream interview at this point to to sit down with and write a story about you know what i i used to always have this one answer and i'll tell you when we stop recording but (laughs) (laughs) all cut off the right i think it's a pretty this is not a spicy question this is not a spicy question i can't say that loud right now because um if i could interview anyone right now i think this is corny but either beyonce or rihanna because i am just so curious about the both of them right they're fascinating people I am. Just, I would choose one of them too. Because so we're good. I I feel like I'm such a conversational person. They would just talk to me about anything. We would get some details. If so I here's the thing. So me and my wife, me and my wife Aria talk about this all the time, and I think she's right. My wife, she's often right. Um, but she says between the two of them, she would choose Rihanna every day of the week and twice on Sunday, only because she feels like Beyonce doesn't give information. Beyonce would be a boring dinner. Not not boring in the sense that she doesn't He's have like, a, like Jay-Z. <laughs> not like that she doesn't have That's a fascinating with, have you seen that conversation, the, the dinner with Jay-Z or right, right. which is ridiculous, by the way. But <laughs> but what would, you, what would you choose? That's dinner with Jay-Z. You would choose dinner with Jay-Z over 500 k Actually, my no, 500 I thought it was 50. Five five hundred I would take the money. However, why would you not take 50? I I think 50. I think we I could get past 50. Honestly, but here's the thing. My, wa- my wife, my wife wouldn't allow me to, to do the dinner part of this. She would tell me, take the money, period. We have a child. We got things to do. However, m- m- really quickly, I go back to every time I've seen Rihanna, like mostly, in, you know, in public settings in regards to just like following her career and like the people that she's around in conversations. She seems like she would sit down with you, be like, can Kenya, tell me about yourself. And then y'all can have like a real conversation. And she would be like giving you information, Jules, not about like life, just like, oh, I was hanging out with ASAP the other day. Like that's, yeah. how, that's how she seems like she's a down home conversation. I'm not sure if I get that with Ben. Like, oh, and it's not, it's not, it's not Beyonce's fault. Beyonce's. I think she's guarded. Yeah. Trajectory is a whole different category now. It's a whole different landscape, but it's yeah. like. Rihanna, for some reason, be, is able to keep that, like, come here, sit down, we're going to talk. You know I what mean, I mean? She's dating ASAP Rocky right now. Who, like, right. In, in my opinion, like, you know, not as but not as popping as Rihanna. You know, like, if I... <laughs> no like, one is. No one is. No, I'm again. ASAP Rocky is a regular, regular rapper. Like, nah, he's, he's, no, no, no. Let's not go there. Let's not, I don't think he's regular, regular. But however, not anymore. I, I would was say he, was he among the SoundCloud rapper generation? Yeah, but he he was. They were different, man. That that whole mob was is different. That movement that they did was different. The yeah. way that the fashion, all of that stuff was different. I think How, you're right. However, there is nobody like it's you it's almost un, it's but it's almost unfair to be like on Rihanna's level. Like they, they I, I'll never forget, and and we'll. Because I know sure the audience is gonna really love this, but the I'll never forget they were on the set of what was it, Ocean's Twelve. What was the Sandra Bullock movie? So you had 
I didn't watch none of the oceans. No, but it was the, the point was they had one of those casts, one of those movie star Sandra Bullock, Julia Roberts, Minnie okay. playing all of these folks and Anne Hathaway. And um, Mindy uh, Colleen was telling the story about she's Mindy Colleen from the office, Mindy Project and all that. She's got she thought every you know, she goes to places where she's a big deal. She goes, I've never felt so unimportant in my life until I was on the set with Rihanna because wow. the, the level of attention, paparazzi and so forth. She was like superstars, super superstars were regular people because Rihanna was walking by over here. So I was like, that's crazy. And it's, a, I mean, it's a handful of folks. Beyonce's in that category. Rihanna's in that category. Okay. Uh, Michelle like, Obama. That's about it. <laughs> category people, over. There's a lot of people in news who I really admire, um, you know, who I would love to just sit, maybe just sit down and talk with, not in an interview setting, but, you know, I would love to hear more about Barbara Walters' life. I adore Barbara yeah, That's Walters. too much, yeah. <laughs> You've gone too far now. Okay, wait. So, but my mom, so my mom and I used to watch The View all the time. Like, sure. I loved The View. Like that oh, death type me up. But that's I would talk hilarious. to Barbara Walters, and you know who else? But I got, I ended up getting to meet her and be mentored by her for a little bit. Was Carol Simpson? Oh, um, that's crazy. Yeah, so she used to teach at Emerson where I went to grad school. Yeah, that's crazy. Yep. Yeah, I would love to just sit down and chat, chat it up with her too. But she, I wonder if she's still doing all the stuff she was doing after she retired. She was doing a thing called um Wow. I think it was like, it was called Wow Woman Wise Old Woman. I think is what she called it. Okay. She was YouTube videos and stuff. Carol Simpson is so smart. I would love to sit down and just like like sit sit with her because she and I used to talk in passing. Sometimes That's dope though. Advice, That's but, dope. Yeah, she's incredible. Kenya, we're going to have to leave it here. Uh, All right. I, I'm always a fan of your uh, musical taste. What's in your what's in what's in your playlist right now? Give me one album, one artist that you'll, that you'll listen to. I've been listening to um, something for the hotties by Megan Thee Stallion. OK, so I mean, Meg, as a standard. No, I'm just saying. Uh, Kenya, thank you. Homecoming by Uzi. I've been listening to that a lot, too. Everybody follow Kenya Hunter. Make sure you read her work over at the Richmond Times Dispatch. This has been a true pleasure. We got to do this again. We'll figure out ways to do this more and more uh, because RPS is always changing. And we didn't give any love to my home county, Henrico, uh, or the other stuff that you cover, but we will. So we'll do this again. Thank you, Kenya, for your time. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that is it. I want to thank Kenya Hunter for that amazing conversation. As always, please visit the Cheats Movement Podcast Network.com to sign up for what we're doing with the Family Podcast Network. It's launching in January 2022, that first week of January 2022. If you know anyone that's interested in podcasting, interested in hosting a show, or working behind the scenes, feel free to reach out to us via the website. We are in onboarding mode, so we're really excited about what we're doing with the Podcast Network in 2022. Please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, With that said, we are extremely, extremely excited about what's coming up on the Cheats Movement podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We've got more of this series talking to interesting people in and around uh, Richmond Public Schools, education, It's a wonderful conversation to have and an important one to have as we go into the new year. So 
Thank you. Until next time, we see it. Yeah. Yo, yo, I'm trying to play leaving. All right. See you at the airport.